This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome investors to another week of the Three Wise Monkeys podcast, a podcast that's all about markets and investing. My name is Andrew Page, founder of strawman.com, and as always, I'm joined by my co-pilots, Mr. Matt Joss from mattjoss.com. Thank you, Andrew. Very happy to be here. Excellent. And Claude Walker from ethicalequities.com.au. Great to be back. Well, it is good to have you back, mate. We missed you last week. You feeling better? Uh, My lungs are feeling a bit better. Good. Well, that's better than getting worse, I suppose. And you're here today, and that's the main thing. Uh, Matt, maybe you could tell us what we're going to chat about today. Absolutely. So today we're talking about a couple of technology companies, quite different uh, ends of the size spectrum. So the first one is a, a Kiwi company, actually, an enterprise software company, for utilities and airports called Gentrack. And the other um, business is one that uh, every listener will know, uh, Facebook. Facebook. We're going to talk about its kind of current fall and its uh, potential as an investment. Interesting. But let's start with Gentrack. Now, before we do, Claude, I believe that you made a little bit of a purchase in this bad boy recently. All right. Yes, I did actually buy a few more shares of Gentrack at $5. I'm not in a rush to... uh, use up all my dry powder. However, uh, I guess to give a little background on the company, it does fit in to some of the themes that I generally like. As many listeners will know, we like software companies. We've talked a lot about software companies. The reason for this is that software scales well. Mm. Uh, I think Matt probably puts it best. It's, it's quite a unique um, a unique product that we haven't really seen before where it can be infinitely replicated at almost no cost. So almost See, I knew he'd put it better than me. Infinitely <laughs> replicated. That were the words I was looking for. Gotta so with this infinitely replicable uh, product, Gentrack serves a fairly large enterprise customers. Now, there are positives and negatives in terms of a software company that serves big customers versus little customers. Obviously, big customers are very powerful mm. and so they can have... Uh, yeah, more bargaining so, power. Exactly. And on top of that, it can take a lot longer to close a deal with a big customer. But the flip side of that is once you win the big customers, it's a much harder for them to move off your software. And if your software is doing a good job for them, it's probably not where they're looking to make any savings. Mm-hmm. This is even more the case now that software is increasingly billed on a sort of pay-as-you-go uh, way and I feel like this is an extremely big trend that the market is absolutely aware of, but we still haven't seen the full benefit of that. Now let's let's one 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 step backwards. Who are the customers? Okay, the well, so there are a few do? different customers. I've already said that they're big companies, but they are utilities, so water utilities, mm-hmm. uh, power utilities, and also increasingly airports. Mm-hmm. So. Gentrack got its start essentially in mean billing software, which mm. is a, which is a great place to start because I guess who you're sending the bill to is a source of truth in terms of who your customer actually is, and on top of that, and you, and you want to get the money off the customer. Yeah, you want to get the money from the customer. Uh, so any kind of interruption to that process can be very costly for you. They you, want to make sure they get paid. They're yeah, exactly. Gonna yeah, they're not going to go that. without billing software. So that gives Gentrack a good position to uh, serve 
more needs for those big customers. They say, hey, oh, you could go with that other provider that perhaps optimizes uh, the use of your airport space or perhaps optimizes how frequently you uh, measure customers' energy use. All of these optimizing softwares that increasingly make a business more efficient Well, Gentrack is moving into those spaces and that can be developing solutions. So they'll be working with the customer for billing. The customer will want a certain thing. Gentrack has a lot of software engineers. A couple of years ago, they went on a big hiring spree. They've hired a lot of people so they can now start developing more software to serve customer needs. And then secondly, they've been buying. They've also gone a big buying spree for the last couple of years. Seems like a familiar kind of story in this current market, doesn't it? Software companies in particular. And I guess one of the things we should point out before we go too much further is you were quick to point out to me just before the show is that these guys are profitable. Um, In fact, they pay a dividend. Uh, Big amounts of free cash flow. I know... I know when we hang out here together, like I'm, I'm the guy that likes the profits, and I, I take a, I take a bit of a mocking for my love of profits. I don't know about that. <laughs> I like profits. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, um, catapult. <laughs> oh, um, zing! Oh. Anyway, uh, so there's a bunch of different companies that don't make <laughs> profits, but I guess where I really like to invest is software companies that do make profits, and I'm always a little bit slower to sell a company when it's making profits. The reason for that is that I basically know that if it just hunk it, I bake, there's, a, there's a floor under that price for me, mm-hmm. essentially. There's a certain price at which the company can just continue to accumulate money, mm-hmm. which they can then pay out in the form of dividends or use to grow their businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I love to have some visibility of my downside and... When a company makes profits, when they have free cash flow, when they pay a dividend, it just at least gives me some idea of what the downside of the bet I'm making is when I buy shares. Let me let me challenge you on that just a little bit. Mm, I agree. Let me start off by saying that. But uh, Gentrack, if anyone opens up uh, their uh, you know Yahoo Finance or whatever you know, uh, simply you Wall Street. To, simply, if anyone opens up simply Wall Street, they will notice that the share price is plunged. Plunged is a big word, but I think it's I think it's justified in this Collapsed. case. Collapsed. Collapsed. No, um, it's, it's on its way. It's, look, it's down about thirty percent or so since hitting I a high earlier this year. Feel like it's about twenty two percent in the last month. Twenty two percent. Where's that floor, my friend? Where's that floor? <laughs> well, is it probably a, a, a still a way to go before we hit the floor okay i, uh, I totally take your point though i totally it's however not, it's not entirely just sentiment there's, there's a real no bl- floor <laughs> hey, you could easily say push pay push pay doesn't make any money either Don't yeah bring well push pay but i mean matt has this crazy theory that push pay is going to make a profit in yes. the in I the don't. near term uh no like yeah. I, I guess by I guess, the way yeah. i own push pay and yeah. i don't own catapult so. i guess the, <laughs> I got the, um, I got the, the other view the other side is that i think a lot of uh australian and new zealand companies can limit their their growth potential by by focusing on profit too early. I don't I'm not saying Gentrack's an example of that. So I guess that's the point you need to weigh up is if you're if you're reinvesting enough for growth or if you can do both. And it depends. Some companies can do both very well. And yeah, well, Zero is a classic example of that, right? Of like, investing. Yeah, I and mean, they could have they could have been time. cash flow yeah, positive and profitable yonks ago, and they chose yeah. not to. And I th- and look, I don't want to call this one too soon, but I think. The market, at least, is at, the, at a point now where it wasn't that long ago they had some serious doubts, but now they're thinking, actually, that was a pretty good strategy they had to really double down, reinvest cash, prolong profitability to sort of grow that business. 
But we digress, Claude. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. So Yeah, so the risk when a company doesn't make a profit is that if people stop believing in the story and that company needs more money, then mm. they have to dilute at, uh, I guess, like at a the lower price. Time. I'm going to challenge you again, just on that. Oh, spicy. When I say, I think, I think uh, we're all good enough friends here to know that this is this is all in 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 for a, for yeah, good intellectual honesty. Uh, what I'm it's saying nice. here is, so yeah, yeah I, I hear that, I, I agree with that. But they did raise some money um, recently, and in fact, their share count has grown by what thirty about thirty odd something percent in the last couple yeah. of years. Ah, it's a pretty big dilution. Pretty that, big dilution. No, no, that's absolutely true. And I think that there is a certain risk that associates with Gentrax heavy investment. Now, that's not just through the use of dilution, but also through the use of debt. Now, what they did recently is they raised capital to pay off debt, essentially, that now puts them in a position where they can acquire or invest aggressively again. Catapult did that. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. sorry. Catapult did it at increasingly lower prices, whereas Gentrack did it at like three times the price that it previously did. You're making it too easy for me. If we're going to compare it to Catapult, it's going to be an easy pitch. But like the real issue is, is Gentrack worth perhaps 30, I think the EV, that's the enterprise value. Mm -hmm. uh, So enterprise value is market cap. Um, plus net debt, right? Yeah, so in the case of Gentrack now, it um, has a bit of net cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last year, it had quite a bit of debt, which you needed yeah. to take into account. But yeah, so at the moment, it has net cash. and what, this It has, has 10 e- million in cash. Yeah, mm-hmm. so this has the effect of... Sorry, debt. It's actually funny. You often see this happens when a company moves into a strong balance sheet position, then their share price may not perform so well. When it's in a weak balance sheet position, using a lot of leverage... Um, it can have a higher share price because I guess on the basic like price to earnings ratio, it looks more attractive, but yeah. the company is like fundamentally carrying more risk and having less optionality. Mm-hmm. So I guess the sort of, if you're following along with a company that you think is a high quality company, you want to buy that company when it has a strong balance sheet with you there. and the potential for more growth. And probably if you were going to trade it, you'd, you'd look to lighten your holding when it's geared up with heaps of debt and the market's giving it yep. a multiple that ignores this lack of optionality. Okay, so so, so you've got a, a lovely software business with a, a good track record. It's profitable. Revenues have been growing very, very strongly. Yep. So a high like, percentage I mean, of those earnings are recurring in nature. The balance sheet sheet is extremely strong. Well, you're strong. making the case, not me here. Like, I guess what I wanted to talk about most of all is the most recent results because that's what's driven the drop in the share price. Uh, essentially what happened is that the, the, the company disappointed the market, mm. but on top of that, uh, it wasn't a big, like it wasn't, they didn't stop growing or anything. It was just like slightly less than what the market expected. And then on top of that, they gave some very subdued, uh. um, guidance, not really guidance, mm-hmm. but, uh, subdued opinions about what the market was looking like in the near future. Mm. Yeah. So this essentially says, to the market, hey, your narrative of every year we're growing is probably going to fail. Yeah. Okay. Let me just put some numbers on what you said there. When you said it was strong, it was 38% revenue growth. Net profit was up 16%. It's quite strong. I noticed the CEO yeah. said recently they're targeting 15% growth in operating profit long term. Yeah. So that so previously for years, they had this target of 10% EBITDA. That's like what we'll call operating profit. 10% EBITDA growth, long term average. And then they at some point upped this to 15%. 
um, or long term, yeah, long term average, which is actually to be fair, like in keeping with what they've achieved. Mm-hmm. But the reality of the situation is, if you look at the um, diluted earnings per share, mm. then it was only a very, very small bump from about fifteen cents to sixteen cents. Mm. And if you want to be like really harsh, which I always am. <laughs> Even to to com- me, especially. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even with companies I really like, I'm really harsh to them. And if you, instead of using... Uh, so when a company reports, this is actually a little detail that a lot of people miss. When a com- company reports their earnings per share, they'll give you this weighted, diluted mm-hmm. average that basically adjusts for the fact that they perhaps did not have all of the shares. That's BS, man. It's like not an average number of shares through the period, not the, exact not the number current the number of period. shares yeah. not right that, now. Not the actual number of shares. Uh, so if you don't do that and you just say, I'm going to look at the number of shares you have at the end of the period and then assume... Um, earnings per share based on that. So based on that. Yeah. Now, what I will do is at least give them credit for the acquisition they okay. made and yeah. sort of try to like, imagine if nothing grew a full year effect and it just went flat. Um, I get something like, I think 14.3 Australian. Ooh. So it's a fall so, from the, yeah. So it's year. a full, it's a full yeah. as a result of the dilution. And as a result of the fact that the stuff they're acquiring is not earnings accretive. Mm. You'll often see these roll up companies. I think one that I'll like make fun of, I guess is G8 education, which has yeah. had this sort of big, ramp of a share price and then it's come all the way down and it's because they're just like constantly buying business buying businesses the idea is they sell shares at 20 times earnings they buy a business on 10 times earnings they magically make profit it creates no value to any human beings it's just financial engineering and you know many people love to jump on board that but it doesn't create any real value now gentrack is not doing that Mm. they are buying companies on very high multiples because they think those acquired businesses when plugged into the gentrack software ecosystem can power even more growth and can synergy yeah exactly so that may or may not prove to be successful but i at least like the fact that they are going with a strategy that at least claims that it is trying to create genuine value by taking something that's in a high growth phase something that some software that they think is good and adding it to their uh suite of software because what you want to own is a company that owns a product that's really good, that's going to last for many years, that's going to give them pricing power, that's going to keep winning them more and more customers Mm. and that they can cross-sell into their customer base. It makes sense that there would be synergies in doing that, Mm. but it's not not necessarily going to be the case. Was there also something to do with... uh, So I think half their revenue now comes from the UK and Europe. And there's also... as everyone would be aware there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment with brexit on top of that there's been some regulatory changes over in the uk in terms of electricity price caps and all that kind of stuff so a lot of providers there reduced margins ceo making a bit of noise that eh, there's a bit of uncertainty there there's also project timing issues you know it's not going to be a, it's going to be we, we expect it to be good but you know don't expect it to be a nice even linear kind of growth. yeah so is that all feeding into that negative it is so sentiment? on the conference call they made it pretty clear that there's uncertainty about the timing of investment projects in Bre- in the uk because of the um the brexit circus and like regulatory changes that are going on there, as well as uh, in Australia, the company previously um, had benefited from some adjustments to regulatory regulatory yeah. settings, which is now sort of I guess slowing down, and that's no longer such a uh, such a tailwind there. So although they still continue to get more business in those jurisdictions, they basically forecast slower growth. On the flip side, 
they do have um they won three customers in Singapore. Their airports business is global. They see a lot of potential in the US. This is a genuine it's about a third of their earnings now too, I think. Or uh, say that the, the, sounds the utilities is the the pretty much the dominant um, earner for them. Yeah, no, that's too high. Sorry, mate. Sorry. I think it's a lot less than a third from what I'm looking at. Yeah, the, so the airport. You're the one that bought shares, yeah. dude. I'm <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so it is the profit is mostly from the airports and or not. It's not the airports, sorry. The utilities business. So that's water and power. Mm-hmm. The airports business has been like uh, going along for a few years now, gradually growing. It's been growing revenue faster than uh, profits. It is growing profits. I think the last half was actually second half was slightly down on the first half. I think that another reason that the market um, soured, yeah, soured, was that generally you would expect a stronger second half from GenTrack. If you look in the 2014 financial year, 2015 financial year, 2016 financial year, like the second half was always markedly stronger. This time it was yeah, reasonably flat, half on half. Mm-hmm. So that. So that, let, that let's, let's, so I've talked a lot about the negatives. Let's, let's tie this together. I have one more negative but, to ask. Okay. Yeah, let's yeah. have the negatives, but then I want to tell you why no, I, like, I, I, I still like yeah, it. Okay. Yeah. So maybe the last negative. So I was just looking through. It looked like Australia and New Zealand utilities revenue declined and maybe airports did too for those two geographies. Is that a sign that there is a, a challenge with underlying growth, that it's pretty flat unless there's big new wins or what's that kind of... That, that somewhat ties into my next point. In fact, part of the reason I still like it is because of where I think that that effect could be coming from. Mm-hmm. So the important thing to understand about these older businesses is that it is in the process of moving from what was more a licensing software upfront up model where you would sell software and get a big chunky bit of revenue and then get ongoing maintenance and ongoing work versus moving to more to a software as a service type model. Mm-hmm. Subscription. And that means you get a lower upfront payment upfront a bump. longer stream and stickier. It, well, yeah, exactly. It doesn't decline as much. Typically with the licensing model, you get a big bump and then a lower maintenance thing. But with software and service, there's no maintenance thing. It's just like more of a steady thing mm-hmm. along the way. This is actually similar to the Nanosonic story that we were talking about yep, just gonna um, say. a few weeks ago. So that... So That's I a good reason to see the revenue dip a bit. Well, so I asked the CEO about this uh, and about how this impact, um, how was it impacting their revenue? And he said, yes, indeed, this move to more software as a service rank was impacting it, but he didn't try to sell it up heaps and say, oh yeah, that's the whole reason and we would have um, grown it otherwise or anything like that. He basically said, you know, it's, it's to do with timing. It's to do with, yeah, the market's not as good now as it was mm. a little while ago. Um, so they, they weren't trying to say some sort of bullish case, so it's all fine, yeah. anything like that. But they did say, you know, we're very pleased with the traction we've got with our new software as a service no- model. Mm. They did say that the end of year, the ARR, so the annualized recurring revenue on the software as a service contracts was almost 52 million, double the prior year. So if anything, to me, like I could see other CEOs being more promotional saying, hey, we doubled our SAAS, you know. Yeah. You know, forget about, oh, there's licensing lumpy stuff went down. Look at the software of a service. And if this was push pay, you know, we'd be just taking one look at the annualized recurring revenue of 50 million and saying, well, times 10 at least, uh, mm. let's buy. Mm. 
I'm um, sorry. That's <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, aggressive today, man. That's not aggressive. No, like what? I don't know what. Sassy mul- is my, maybe the best. Yeah, word. sassy, exactly. I don't know what multiple of annualized recurring revenue, you know, should be the ballpark. There's a big range. Push pay, I probably would be happy to pay closer to 10 on. Just not catapult. Catapult's more or closer to three. <laughs> but it's actually on that. It is. I know. I know. So maybe it is under, uh, undervalued. It's, oh, wow. Like, okay. Okay. Let, let's wrap it up. We got to yeah, get to the point. But the point is, look, if you valued this as a software as a service company, it would look within the normal range for a good quality software as a service company. For example, my rule of thumb back in the day, I don't think it's possible anymore. I'm not totally across zero now. It's too large for me to study it closely. <laughs> but. I remember You're not going to have much to say about Facebook then. I remember <laughs> thinking that, you know, buying it in its growth phase at 10 times recurring revenue was a good buy. You look at something like Volpara, which I own a small amount of shares in but have sold mostly, that is trading on some, you know, 20 times forecast annualized recurring revenue. It the multiple of annualized recurring revenue that the market is generally willing to pay for a software as a service company has to do with how fast that annualized recurring revenue is growing and how fast it is expected to grow. Well, Gentrack just doubled it. So that's pretty fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So on that basis, I think it's reasonable. And then the second thing I wanted to get to is this. At the moment, uh, it's trading 30 times free cash flow on the enterprise value. Now that's expensive, but for a software company that is growing, and it has a history of growing and it says it's going to keep growing even if it doesn't grow as fast this year as it has in the past you can safely say from there in my opinion that if this were to drop and I, this does probably shock most people but if this was to drop 50 percent from here that would be very cheap for for a company that has those criteria mm. so what this does is this gives me an idea about where my real downside is. Like if the market really falls out of love with Gentrack and really starts to say like, we actually hate this company, it's like pretty shit, then I will lose 50% from here. And I'm given that its growth has slowed a little, I'm willing to, I ex- or half expect that it's possible the share price will be weak, especially if its next results do indeed show a softening. So I'm ready to buy more of this stock and actually make it quite a big position over time. So you're playing the long game here. You think, look, yeah. it was probably too expensive, but it's a high quality business, strong balance sheet, well, good runway of growth, some nice economics involved, and it's cheap enough. And if it got cheaper, you'd buy more. Yeah. Mm. So basically, you know, I think there's a lot going for it at the current price. I am buyer at the current price, but I would also save some dry powder for if it got lower. All right, that was Gen Track. Good luck to you there. So I have to admit, it looks very interesting. You have encouraged me to do a little bit of further work on that. Uh, you're not a shareholder, are you, Matthew? We should disclose. Uh, no, not currently. Not at the time of recording this podcast. Positions may change. That, as always, is true. <laughs> Mates, let's pivot to a much, 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 much larger company. Probably one of probably one of the largest technology companies. Probably yeah. one of the largest technology companies in the world. Matt, tell us a bit about what Facebook does. Facebook, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For those that may not be familiar. <laughs> For those, so it's obviously Facebook itself, the social network that everyone, including your mother and grandmother, have an account on. Um, Sad but true. So that's that's a that's a big kahuna, but it's um, acquired a lot of other businesses, which I think not everyone knows that Facebook owns, which is kind mm. of interesting. So Instagram, which is the new hotness in social networking, has over a billion monthly active users. Uh, that was acquired by Facebook 
um, for just one billion dollars, actually. So a pretty big bargain <sighs> steal. Bargain. Um, and that's grown extremely fast. So it grew yeah. 200 million users last year. Uh, they own WhatsApp, which has about 1.5 billion users monthly. Active that's users not monetized worldwide. yet, though. Is not it? monetized at all. At yep, all. We can get to that a bit later mm -hmm. on. Um, and uh, I guess those are the two big kahunas. They also own Oculus. Um, they also have the Facebook Messenger as a, um, its own like messaging app. Mm -hmm. uh, so very big scale. So globally, 2.3 billion people have an account of one of their sites. Most of those on Facebook or some have accounts on multiple different services. Um, and just to put that in perspective, there's about 3.2 billion total internet users worldwide. Uh, and you it's know, if you use the internet, there's a very good chance yeah. that you use Facebook. And, and, and you consider that in uh, China, which uh, tries to very heavily regulate other internet competitors from outside, mm -hmm. Facebook has a very low presence because of that. So kind of excluding that, it's very close to you know 100% share of the kind of available market. Is it a social network or is it a marketing company? Yeah, or is it a media company? A media so company that's is actually word. the way it gets classified mm -hmm. in a lot of um, financial analysis because it... Uh, yeah, I guess it's serving up, the users generate the content, um, which then gets served up in this news feed. So it's like it's all of these things. Mm. Um, but the way that it makes money, as we all know, is the ads that pop up in our feeds. Mm. Um, and there's a, a various different ways they charge that similarly on Instagram. But as you said, so WhatsApp, which has been acquired a couple of years ago, is not monetized at all at the moment. So all of the money effectively that Facebook makes right now is coming from advertising. And Facebook is the only platform, the only one that they've really heavily monetized. Mm -hmm. Instagram is still in the very early stages, although you're starting to see stuff pop up on there. Um, and in a little more interesting ways. So you might see a influencer have a post and then you can click on random parts and buy things through that. So there's all sorts of new ways that they're exploiting that. But we are, yeah. I think we are very early on in this journey. And it's, it's interesting when you look at a company of such immense size, it's still growing like the clappers. I mean, revenue was up 31% last year, but it's got so much further to go. And, and what when I was doing a little bit of prep, because I haven't, I don't actually invest overseas beyond a, a few ETFs, um, which is something I really have to change, more so after having a look at Facebook, I've got to be honest with you, is, is that I was really surprised at how small a proportion of those monthly active users are actually from the US and Canada. Yeah. North America is like 12% of yeah, their users. Incredible. Yeah. But what was fascinating for me is that that very small one-eighth of their user base, their active user base, generates half of their profit. And when you look at average revenue per user mm -hmm. in the US, I'm going to get this wrong, but from the top of my head, it's like 26 bucks or something. I think the US I had was like $100. Oh. Uh, I think at global average was $24 or something. Uh, should we take a quick fact check <laughs> break? Yeah. Okay, after a very quick fact check, it turns out that Matt was right. It is about $100 average at annual revenue per user. I was looking at a quarterly statement. Um, Four quarters in the year for anyone guess. listening at home. But what was interesting, <laughs> and the point still remains, and the point yeah. still remains. The point Relatively, is, your numbers are right. Relatively, the numbers okay. are right. So the average worldwide users is about... Six times four. 24 is about a quarter of that. Uh -huh. And 
and so if you think that they've got that and that all of the, the user growth is coming from Asia Pacific and worldwide, um, and that's where most of their users are, but they have very, we talk about you know yet to monetize. They are not, monet well, they've obviously monetized there, but not nearly to the extent they have at the US. Yeah. So if you don't have to make too ambitious some assumptions to sort of say, look, if the average revenue per user in some of these other geographies starts approaching that of the more mature markets of US and Canada, even without user growth, there is a lot of flex All there. Right. I'm going to jump in there. On that point, do we really think that a user from Thailand, Indonesia, uh, That's an excellent point. Bhutan, has the same potential for making profits for Facebook as one in the US? No. No, absolutely not. So I think there'd be a purchasing power parity adjustment you'd have to make or something like that around, you know, what's a dollar worth in those countries? How much does a consumer have? I, uh, I think that is very true. I think it's an mm. excellent point. Um, but I would say that uh, the Western Europe probably is. Yeah. And Western Europe is a less than a third of the average revenue per yeah, year. So there's definitely upside there. And also, you know, that's going to be a great way. A lot of these big global companies are a great way to leverage on just the world getting Yeah, the world wealthier. getting world getting wealthier, the so, middle class. Yeah, you know, but that's a very you, good point. Claude. If you do buy Facebook at a reasonable multiple and you think that the world is going to get wealthier, then you'll probably benefit just as yeah. if you bought Commonwealth Bank 10 years ago, you'd just benefit because Australia got wealthier. Yeah. Let, let's let's actually dig into that because that's what's very interesting because um, we've, we've given some pretty impressive stats. Some of us preferred quarterly, others have gone <laughs> annual. Either way, they're very impressive stats. <laughs> And and the thing and the thing that is is interesting about all of that is that the shares have really fallen away. Share talk about we said Gentrack was down thirty percent. Well, so is Facebook. It's down about thirty percent since July. Yeah. Gentrack's on a PE of thirty. Facebook is on a PE of twenty. So there is obviously a pretty cogent bear thesis out there to drive such a highly scrutinized company down so much. Um, why? Why is that? What, yeah. What's the market thinking? Well, I guess the first is that the last quarterly results were a lot slower. So revenue growth, if you like annualize those comparing to the immediate quarter just preceding, which is like the kind of the lowest number you could get, is about 15%. Um, obviously, over the last year, there's still a lot of growth before then. So like on an annual basis, as you said, it was like 30%. But just looking at that quarter in isolation. Can I um, actually, I just add to that a little bit more. Not only that, but it was those mature markets of the US and in Europe that flat i think yeah and and the growth all came from the rest of the world yeah and a bit of that ties into the kind of political turmoil that facebook has found itself in right mm. where their advertising was being used um to influence elections in the u.s quite famously we don't even have to say allegedly anymore do no we? no i think that's yeah. pretty cut and dry uh and so that facebook has um cut back on some of the advertising that they're doing. I think they're probably restricting quite heavily on Instagram how many ads they're showing compared okay. to what they could do. But it is there are some factors there as well. And then there's a concern around whether there's an, as much engagement. Mm -hmm. um, you're still seeing user numbers rise very strongly, so we're not seeing that um, flowing through. But uh, Not in the US and Europe. That was Those user numbers were flat. But yeah, globally, yeah, yes, globally, very much yeah. so. Yep. And so that, again, gets the US and Europe. When we say user numbers, are we talking about the, fa the Facebook platform? As he slams his glass down. Or Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, all of it? Uh, I was specifically talking about Facebook, which is by far the lion's share of revenue. The user growth there in yeah. the big established markets I, was, was flat. I'm not, I'm not particularly bullish Facebook. Having said that, I'm not bearish it either. However, one point I would make is I feel like the main game has moved away from the Facebook platform now. I wouldn't be surprised if there's actually a lot less. I think that may have actually 
I'm th completely opposite of what you guys are saying, but I think it may actually be reasonably close to its peak profitability. I think there's a lot more potential in Instagram and WhatsApp and whatever the next thing that okay. they're probably able to buy. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Will that's be. A, that's the tricky part. Um, and also all the data on Facebook, how valuable that is to be monetized so elsewhere. So valuable. if you have that still as your repository of all your data and photos and whatever else, yeah. then that intelligence is very valuable to advertisers on Instagram and, and the, WhatsApp and the, eventually. And the government, you know, they'll be able to track <laughs> you everywhere. Well, in fact, it's it's so incredibly, <laughs> incredibly valuable. It's so them. incredibly valuable that, again, the bears will say, and I think rightly, that there is, I mean, we've already seen some of it and it's probably going to get worse, is the fact, well, worse from Facebook's <laughs> perspective, maybe better from, from a citizen's perspective, is that there's going to be a lot more restrictions potentially placed on them in terms of the data that they collect and how that they can use that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, so I, I think that's a very good point. The concern would be that the network itself starts to unwind and that could be a very bad thing. I think what Facebook has done extremely well as Claude mentioned, is acquire every emerging competitor before they really emerged um, and manage to head off Snapchat as well. So if you're thinking about Snapchat as a threat, um, Snapchat's total active users is something like 200 million. And again, Facebook across its properties added about 200 million just over the last year alone. Snapchat's um, dead, isn't Snapchat's, it? Yeah, Snapchat's not cool anymore because Instagram right. killed it. But it's yeah. a good example of there constantly being a need to be um, kind of refreshed and have whatever the new thing is. And so there could be a new thing emerge in a few years. I guess the challenge is now Facebook, it's at such a large scale that it can probably acquire um, other things that come along uh, while they're still much smaller, right? Because when you're at 2 billion scale and, and the cash flows they have, there's a lot more opportunity. Not, not, just the, sorry, not just the cash flows they've got, but the cash, cash that they've got. 8 billion US big ones. I just think, yeah. Just on like a really zoomed out issue, do you think that we might also be at saturation point in terms of just social media? Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that Facebook or Instagram goes away. I'm just saying that each person only has a certain amount of hours in the day. And I think there's probably, at least in the you know Western Europe and US and Australia, probably some sort of recognition amongst a fairly high percentage of people that most social media does not make you happy. I Please find us on Twitter, SoundCloud. Visit <laughs> <laughs> nice. our Facebook page. I, like, I comment, totally, subscribe. I, I think intellectually, <laughs> I agree with you. But then at the same time, I would say in, in, the, in the, the great arc of history, we are very, 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 very much at the early stages of this. Yeah. And I would, I would imagine that my kids who don't have a device yet and I won't let them have one they're, they're, they're too little but when they grow up it is they're going to be using it a hundred times more than, yeah, than but we so are. there was also some yeah. research so what I'm also getting at here is there's research I read that was into the mental health impacts of different social media platforms on their users oh for sure and yeah. by far oh, I'm pretty sure that it's a UK research you can probably find it yourself but from memory Instagram was by far the most the worst. damaging and even though mm. people on Twitter constantly make fun of the fact that it's, you know, a dumpster fire or whatever, it's actually not one that is associated with harmful mental health outcomes relative to I some mean, of the I others. I think even if you're being want to be general, I, I, think it's, I think it's not unreasonable to say that there is a lot of negative mental health consequences with social media. Yeah. Having said that, there's a lot of negative mental health consequences with a whole bunch of stuff that's gone yeah. nuts well, actually, and interestingly, crazily over the years. In that survey, I think YouTube was the only one that was positive. Oh, really? Um, yeah. No, cat, no, no, cat videos. Really I, yeah, that, and I think there's probably... Uh, because there's so much more 
it's it's one to many, much more than probably the others. Yeah. So people are it's more effective in terms of you want to support and like and subscribe the person who does make you yeah. feel better. Mm. Whereas something like Facebook, you're not necessarily connecting or Instagram, you're not ne- necessarily connecting with people because you like them and because you actually want to be influenced by them. There are social reasons why you have to have them. I don't want to... I have in my life, you know, a teenage girl who is my family and I can remember a few years ago, you know, she felt extremely compelled to join Instagram. She wasn't connecting with people because necessarily at that point in time, she wanted to opt in, but just because she felt she had to do it. Mm -hmm. And that for me encapsulates how powerful the network effect is on the one hand, (laughs) but also is what gives me pause as I guess somebody who also thinks about whether I really want to own part of that company for the ethical reasons. Society. Totally and valid point, man. I, so I, that's, I, I guess why I don't own it. I yeah. don't disagree with you guys that, you know, Gentrax twice as expensive based on earnings compared to Facebook. Well, that probably seems a little off to me, but yeah. So Claude, I guess to address your point, um, that you, which is a good one around, can we, is there any more attention to soak up? Because a lot of people's a very large part of their waking hours is on Facebook. I think that's quite, true but the difference is that it's not monetized so the global advertising market about a trillion dollars only about five percent of that goes to facebook now which i think when you consider the relative share of people's time compared to television and print and everything else Can it's that very is, possible that, is true. that they're not yeah that, that is true that is true although i did read just today um that google and facebook together account for 50 percent of online uh revenue uh, yeah. advertising revenue yeah correct so it depends but how you want to measure it I think yes, that's I, the I, thing I though how much that. should be online considering how much are you really watching those ads that everyone skips through like they, you don't have good measurability or reach for away. these things yeah. and I think that online is I don't the, know, I the guess, share yeah so it seems like to me for the online platforms they are monetized Facebook and Google to me are monetizing pretty well like I, but it's hard for me to say like, this is like retail for me I'm so atypical in terms of my particular habits that whenever I base investment decisions based on my life, I just yeah don't get a good read at all. So yeah. maybe there are other people that spend a lot more time in Facebook than me, but the, the, for me, the, not. I think, I think there's two yeah. things there. So but one, I don't, I don't um, Facebook, if you use that more, is much more monetized compared to their other properties. So Instagram isn't as much and WhatsApp is not at all. So zero dollars. Um, the other point though is just as more... It's it's a it's a compa- it's an auction market, right? So even if you Claude are seeing the same amount of ads, if you have twenty times more bidders out there, the people that buy advertising bidding for those ads, the price of those ads goes up. So it doesn't actually need to saturate to users anymore mm. to significantly increase Facebook and Google's profits. I'll give you another part of, and I I should say um, here you don't own shares, Claude. I'm guessing I don't. So I don't my own strategy shares. in the US now, I do own a few different US companies, but but not Facebook. No, I'm, uh, my strategy is mostly just buy Google shares. I, no. that's, that, that's that's a damn good topic for another day, actually, yeah. Google. Um, you do, though, Matt. I do. Yep, okay. Yep. Um, uh, and and Google get, uh, as well, since I mentioned. Yep. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I have a little bit of envy there, actually. Yeah. So um, uh, the other bull case would be, and we'll talk a bit about the bear case as well, the other bull case would be that this, you pointed this out to me the other day and I had to double check it. Not because I don't believe you're a very honest guy, but it just seemed crazy, crazy high. They spend $9.3 billion a year US on research and development. Yeah. So you have to imagine that the firepower that they are wielding there 
is only going to strengthen this already phenomenal, phenomenal platform and phenomenal, phenomenal network effect as well. So it's an investment in Facebook isn't just in the assets that you see today, but the assets that $9 billion worth of R&D is likely to yield. What's that as a percentage of their like actual profit? Did you say nine? Nine billion. Yeah. Nine billion so in R&D. So it's about half. half I gotcha. Yeah. 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 So no, imagine no. the flex there. If they wanted 10% profit growth, they could just... Yeah. Just take the foot off the accelerator slightly on R and D. I tell you, the thing that just gets me interested in it as well is is that yeah, I, I totally see all those negatives. I see I see regulation. I see perhaps like a little bit of a waning in this in, in the in the interest of the platform, etc. But this is still growing at double digit rates. Where you just point out Claw with the potential to grow the bottom line even more significantly near term if they want, and it's on a PE of twenty. 20. Yeah. Now you look at WiseTech, you look at Zero, you look at Appen, you look at, you know, Afterpay, you look at sort of the tech darlings of our market, which are on PEs at like, you know, of eight, even stocks that we own that we've yeah. waxed lyrical about so that we like. Got, it's a, what, it, it, but the, if, it, I think that the, so there are like 47 analysts, I've got data on 47 analysts covering this, right? So I don't think we're necessarily going to have a, a, an edge over the market in terms of the number of smart people that are looking at it. But the bizarre thing is, if those analysts, they go down, if you get, try to get their estimates out until 2023, the aver- the consensus estimate is for almost $34 billion in profit. So that's a, like a big increase. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a really interesting point you raised, Claude, um, around an edge. Because I think that the only edge here would be more like a time horizon edge. Yeah, and a, and that's what I was getting Holding through. So most other, um, well, a lot of fund managers, if something's going to fall... 20% sometime over the next five years and then it'll be the best performing stock, they'll say, uh, when can I short it? Like, yeah. and they don't care yeah. about that. Or they, they don't want to underperform for a quarter or two in the meantime. So I think that would probably be, if you ha- if you do believe in that long-term story, that would probably be where you can have an edge. Yeah. But it's a different type of edge. Because the thing is, you know, the PE ratio would be just way too low based if that, if those 12 analysts who yeah. have estimates out that far are even close to the market, which yeah. it seemed like oh, very low for 100%. a high-quality business with a network effect, such. I mean, look at Real Estate Group. Uh, yeah, REA. Sorry, REA Group, yeah. you know, realestate.com.au for those of you who aren't aware of the most popular <laughs> website in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, it has a very high price yeah. because it's got a network effect. And sure enough, it does have an extremely dominant and powerful position, but... It's crazy when you think about the multiples Australian tech companies are on versus some yeah, of these that's, global Yeah, that's the thing models. when you look it's at that. Amazing. Some of them is incredible. Um, and I think the cash is actually a bit higher. Like you mentioned, I think it's actually closer to $40 billion when you bring into account like their investments that have, that's effectively cash, yep. which is huge. Yep. And the fact is that their net profit margin is something like 37%, and they're investing $9 billion in R&D. So when you factor those together... Um, it's gushing cash that it can barely kind of spend. So the argument could be that they could start buying back shares a lot more aggressively at that low multiple. And when you get a company that buys back shares and a low multiple together, it's quite a powerful combination because they're potentially buying below intrinsic value and that increases your holding. So they bought back 10 billion last year, but at the kind of rates that they generate cash, they could buy back a lot more potentially. So that's- Yeah, so their cash flow, or at least their operating cash flow is stronger than their- Profits profit as well. Profit, so yeah. they would be investing cash flow going out into all those software devs though as well though. No doubt it is an extraordinarily, extraordinarily interesting business and one that seems to be, at least relatively Australian sort of tech darlings, really So really, what do we really think? Like, I'm not buying it for my hoity-toity reasons of not liking the product. Yeah. But I do actually think that it's probably a, a reasonable long-term investment for people 
And I've, what are you guys I, I, I'm. It's the first time I've looked in detail in preparation for the podcast, and I have to say it's very, very compelling. <laughs> you don't have to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's because you already knew all the other ones so well. You didn't yeah. need to look at them. I just focus yeah. on the ASX, and I, and I, yeah, I, do, right. I should say that I do have exposure through... Um, oh, I thought you are saying it's the first time you've ever researched the stock you've talked about. Oh, no, sorry, no, no. <laughs> Facebook. Um, gotcha. In detail, I mean, it's, it's hard not to be aware of it and to, to follow along with it, but to really sort of actually open up a few, you know, statements and take a closer look it was very 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 compelling especially uh, you know after a 30 percent drop and you look at that ratio so i don't it directly but i do indirectly yeah and and matt you obviously do yeah i own it um it's not like a monster position for me or anything um i think the it'll be interesting to see how zuckerberg and the leadership team handle it they've definitely made it a few missteps totally um, but i think mm. that that connection can be a massive force for good like I can message very easily with my um, sister-in-law, my little sister-in-law in Macedonia, just like where, you know, she's here. Yeah. And it's just that stuff can be quite incredible if they can, you know, redirect it towards good, I guess it you would say. Yep. It is true that it, there are positives that come out of it. Yeah. But whenever you criticize a stock for like the negatives that come out of it, the typical thing that someone defending will say is, oh, well, that someone else would do it if yeah, that if company didn't. So, you know, I think, yeah, Someone's okay. Like do it. Before email, we had letters. Yeah. Uh, before Facebook, we had email. Yeah, okay, there's still our connections made. And, you know, I've benefited from... Yeah, the postal service like, can't track your account. every move. I think though. we all have a friend or, friend or loved one that we sort of have connected or reconnected with yeah. over Facebook. So there's definitely that redeeming feature. Yeah. Well, there you have it. We better wrap that up. Uh, very interesting interesting chat as always, guys. Um, remember, if you'd like to get in touch, that email address is threewisemonkeyspodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach me uh, on Twitter. Uh, the handle there is at sage underscore Simeon. Matt? Yeah, you can get me on Twitter at Matt Joss, M-A-T-T-J-O-A-S-S, or read my blog at mattjoss.com when's the next piece coming out I'm very I'm soon actually yeah yeah okay it's gonna be about the new frontier Ooh. of human development Ooh. oh that's a good teaser <laughs> speaking of the next piece by the time you're listening to this there should be a gen track write-up on ethical equities nice okay. i like so that nice. we'll put that I, in uh i will make sure i put that in the podcast notes uh, it's as all well. right you know you can google gen track ethical equities and somewhere on the third page of results you should find it <laughs> <laughs> maybe you need a facebook page there you go that's no, what's thanks. missing uh anything else to say lads now that's it thank you for listening yeah and great to have you back Claude. good thanks. to have you back thanks, Claude. Guys. until next week with the three wise monkeys catch you next time thank you